yeah, boy. I have, I never have any idea how you're gonna open these things up. And you never will. <laughs> we can keep it light. And you never will. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining, as always. And yeah. we are uh, talking about urbanity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what we're talking about. Urbanity. Yeah. No, boy. it's good. It'll, it'll be a fun episode. Cities. It'll be a good one. Yeah. yeah. About towns. Yeah. Talking what are they? What suburbs. are they? What counts as a city? Why we all hate Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> specifically Columbus. Dayton can stay. Columbus is is out. Mm, yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. Cincinnati, you're fine. Cincinnati's for now. It's fine. It's not really Ohio. We're just know. gonna list our top ten cities. This, in this is a full hour, probably an hour and five minutes of our favorite cities. And we're yeah. gonna describe um, the major imports, yeah. exports, mm-hmm. the population density, uh, the last decade of you know mayors in each city. Yeah. What they all contributed. The most this is going to be a really, facts. a really like engaging, really exciting. Ep- no. <laughs> no, we're talking about yeah. the politics of cities yeah. and the, the religion. religion of cities. What? How is that even possible? Well, you're going to have to keep listening to figure out. Why are you jumping to the, you're literally jumping to the, like, w- stop asking, okay? Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Come on, stop interrupting us. We got a, we got a movie yeah. corner, a, yeah, yeah, a, a media get, corner we're, first. We're, yeah. Like, you gotta, chill. Gotta let us warm up. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I don't mean to reprimand you. I'm talking to the haters right now. Oh, uh, I was wondering. I was wondering. If what you're are a loyal listener, that message is not for you. But yeah. for the haters, stop. The haters who can't stand us but listen to every episode. <laughs> they hate listen. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for joining in. And we're excited to talk about one of my favorite topics in the world. Yeah. Cities. Yeah. Let's do it. McManus Media Corner. We're back. And yes, it's media this time because, you know, there's just so many movies. Like, but there's not, you know, there's move. We have moved. Movies are coming. But this one But what is- if you took a movie and you made it longer and you split it up into several shorter sections and you only showed one section a week? And dropped it on Apple TV And dropped Plus. it on Apple Plus. I, not sponsored. Not, not a sponsor. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about a, a show, specifically the first season of show that was on Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. And that show is about a corporate work environment mm-hmm. where an overbearing boss makes quips at the expense of his coworkers in a pseudo documentary style. Wait. Wait a minute. That, that's a different show. This show that we're talking about is called Severance. Yeah. So you've seen it. Have you seen this, Patrick? I have. Yeah. No, I, I watched it. Um... A little after it came out. I, I yeah, wasn't same, in like same. that first wave of people, but I, I heard a lot of good things. I was like, well, okay, you know. I, Apple TV has kind of won me over with a lot of their, their shows. Have, yeah, they, I mean, Ted Lasso is obviously having Ted a moment. Lasso's, shrinking. Yeah, Shrinking is solid. I'm almost done with that, but yeah, yeah. very interesting stuff. Yeah, so this, um, I think it came out uh, maybe last year, maybe 2021. I think, I think 2022. I think, yeah, yeah, beginning of last year. Um, created by, interestingly enough, Ben Stiller. That's right. He's the creator the, of the show. The guy, the, yeah. the Zoolander guy. Zoolander. I don't think about him as a <laughs> as a kind of uh, like uh, corporate thriller drama producer. Yeah, TV producer. Yeah. But he is, uh-huh. and he did a, he did a dang good job. This yeah. show is fascinating. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, and so so it stars. Um, I, I, biggest name is uh, Adam Scott is the star of Parks and, of Rec, Parks and Rec fame. Um, also in A Secret Life of Walter Mitty, if you're interested, with Ben Stiller. Interesting. Oh, I forgot enough. he was in yeah. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, who else is in it? Christopher Walken's in it. Yeah, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Briefly, John John Turturro. John well. Turturro. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Lots of solid, and then uh, several new faces for me. Anyways, people mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that were. So basically, essentially, this show is one of those shows where I feel like the less you know about it, probably the better yeah so i'm not going to go into a lot of plot details um but i think this uh, this show uh is fascinating and it applies to a lot of things we'll be talking about today in the episode definitely and essentially um the show is kind of about it it basically takes the idea of a work-life balance and sort of dystopian futurizes it if that makes sense. Yeah, it takes it to the extreme, right? Like yeah. we're we're told it's healthy to keep your your work life and your home life separate, right? To to maintain just like, you know, personal health, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want to be in the office all the time or thinking about the office when you're at home. Mm-hmm. But also you don't you want to be able, you know, in theory, right, from a corporate perspective, mm-hmm. you should be able to commit to your job while you're at work and not have to worry about anything else going on outside of it, right? Yeah. Um 
And what if you could do that to the extreme, right? To the fullest yeah. extent. And what if that led to greater productivity for the corporation yeah. that you worked for? Uh-huh. Yeah. Which it's interesting that it's a show kind of about in some ways the show is about corporate greed and corporate corruption by one of the largest corporations. <laughs> like by Apple. Apple. Yeah, yeah. At Apple's like, well, what if the corporations were greedy? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what if? Well, and it's also interesting you have a show like The Boys, which is like a scathing corporate critique. That's and that's on, on uh, Amazon. Amazon, yeah, yeah, right. So at the end of the day, though, I think it's helpful to remember, like, a lot of times the creators of these shows are actually, like, relatively middle-class writers yeah. who are kind of writing these critiques. And at the end of the day, the major corporation is like, will this make us money? Sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it says. It. And so, yeah. yeah, it's interesting that you have, you know, this major corporation producing yeah. a show that's in many ways critiquing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the the performances in the show are excellent. Yeah, the th- it's it's truly a thriller. Like every episode at the end of it. Yeah, and there's also a it's lot not, of. Really I mean, it's funny. not like an action film, right? But no, but they no. do like, um, or an action show, I guess. But yeah. but yeah, you're right, and that like they they really build up a lot of tension that you don't yeah. expect to come out of a workplace mm-hmm. uh, situation. Yeah, sorry, you you were saying no. Else. Yeah, there's also yeah. because it's produced by Ben Stiller, and you have the lead actor being Adam Scott, mm-hmm. both people who are very well versed in comedy, comedic yeah. timing, comedic writing. It's definitely not a comedy. No, so not if you at see all. Adam Scott's face on it, you see Ben Stiller, like you know, readjust your expectations. Yeah. It's very much a a yep. corporate thriller. Um, but there are little moments of comedy and sort of dramatic irony that are really mm-hmm. compelling. Like it's not like an MCU movie where they're just like throwing in quips to no, keep you yeah. entertained. But it's like there is some deep levels of humor that I found to be like where I'm laughing out loud. Mm-hmm. But also like the general point that that level of humor is making about the workplace and it's about like, oh it's yeah, like very yeah. dark and and intense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's also a lot of uh, family elements of you know Adam Scott's character. Has a, yeah. a really difficult and interesting family situation and, and personal tragedy that he's working through, and so how does that play out with his work and life balance? Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are some jaw, there's some reveals in this show that really caught me off guard. So it's it's worth uh, sort of staying tuned with. Um, and yeah, I think it it doesn't necessarily seek to like be propaganda, but it definitely asks a lot of I think important questions about mm. modern life, and you know, and like you mentioned, like. There's sort of this assumption that, well, you need to do the best for the company you work for, and your personal life should have no bearing. But yeah. then if the company you work for, like, completely wrecks your personal life, I mean, that's just, you know, you, that's just if you love the job. That's like, just collateral, a, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a really yeah. messed up double standard that we Definitely. all sort of accept in allegiance to these yeah. corporations that really don't care about us. Yeah, yeah. well, and it's, I mean, there's this idea of, like, um, not, I'm not necessarily speaking from personal experience here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to like rat on an employer or anything. I, I'm not, I'm not playing that at all, but like, uh, it, it is like commonly accepted that like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally. You could show up a little early, start your day early, get started, get everything ready to go. You could dive right in. That's great. But if you leave a few minutes early, right. Then mm-hmm. that's like, dude, you got to stick around. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You better have, you know, is someone dying? Why are you leaving? Right. So, so there's this idea that like, while you're at work, your company controls, not just your like activities, but your like time and your life mm-hmm. right even now that that's kind of like this implicit understanding of like in order for them to pay you you don't have to just do your job well you have to like do what they tell you mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in in many aspects um yeah and they i mean and again like it is it is a science fiction show but it's not like uh millions of years in the future type of show right it many many parts of it feel very grounded feel like um, and a lot of it is based it. on you know real life right like there's yeah. there's this isn't a big like plot point, but like there's like company towns basically, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is like a historical fact, a, a reality mm-hmm. for a lot of people even today. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the ways that like yeah, 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 we encourage you to have a separate personal life, as you were saying, but mm-hmm. the company is part of all of that still, right? It's still it's still through all things. And this they take it a little far with this show, right? I mean, I mean, there's there's points where like it feels almost like religious in some aspects yeah, right like very cultish it, yeah it. yeah but um but like but another apple tv plus show i actually yeah. haven't watched but there's one about the we work company which yeah, is like uh-huh. this really cultish you know uh, silicon valley uh up jump start yeah 
startup, yeah, that's what I was looking for, uh, that just, like, got really religious really fast in really dark and dystopian ways. Yeah. And so, like, yes, it is an over-exaggeration of our current reality, but I also think... But it's happened, It's right? absolutely yeah. happened. There's yeah. examples of it. Yeah. And I also think this show definitely is very timely. Like, mm-hmm. I remember hearing a study, and I actually, like, fit into the study very well <laughs> in that, you know, when the pandemic hit in 2020... Yeah. And a, like most, um, especially people in office jobs, but a lot of people that worked started yeah. working from home, right? They used yep. to be in an office or, you know, have a have a de- uh, specified work environment that they went to every day. And then that changed for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that when that happened, 70% of the people that were forced to do that were against it. Like they wanted to keep going to the office, right? So it was about 70-30 Interesting. Split. Wow. But yeah. a year later, once people have worked from home for a year, year from home, it had yeah. literally flipped. So that now, 70%. 70% of people did not want to go back to the oh, office. Oh, man. And only That's a big did. shift. Yeah. And so I think we as a society, due to our circumstances, three years um, into a global pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, have reconsidered work and how much weight it ought to carry on our lives. And I think especially yeah. people like our age, like, and, but not just people our age, but mm-hmm. definitely younger people, it's like, you know, you're sort of, you're given some of these sort of religious uh, ideas and visions of what your work yeah. life could Mem- look like. Memorize the, you know, company motto and make sure you always say this when they ask you yeah. this question. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and your right? company is a family, you know, we're it's, a family, yeah, we belong. You know, we're like, more than just a job. We care for you. Yeah. Not, like not when it comes down to it though. But then the <laughs> pandemic showed us like, especially for people like teachers and nurses and yeah. people that work in fast food restaurants, like. No, your company never cared about you. You are yeah. just a product to them. Yep. You are just a means to an end. And I think the veil was pulled back for a lot of people. So this show, if this show would have come out before 2020, I don't know that it would have compelled yeah, people so much. Yeah, I was going to mention, yeah. uh, and I think like this this show is one of many that have come out in the last couple of years that I think have resonated because of the pandemic. Yeah. And, I, and I think we won't see, especially in media, like necessarily a lot of explicit references to a global pandemic or like 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 i think that the after effects of it are going to be a little more a little bit more subliminal right yeah. like you had the last of us which is about a post-apocalypse a global pandemic but mm-hmm. um it's based on a story that was written before that yeah well exactly and i and i think it did resonate because yeah. because it was connected to this idea right like like i think the last couple of years we've all been having our lives completely turned upside down we've questioned a lot of things that we take for granted in our daily lives like mm-hmm. uh uh work and the ethics of uh, how much companies expect us to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, this show fits very well into that, right? Like it, it kind of lines up alongside a couple other shows that I think I think are doing that really well. Yeah, um, yeah. I I was really happy with this show. Uh, they are doing a second season. They have to because the way they it ends might is, they ah. might be doing more, but I know for sure they're, they're they are doing a second season. I'm excited yeah. for that. Um, yeah. So this is a great time to jump in on it if if yeah. you've not seen it yet. Um, definitely. I mean, like you know, it, it's an adult show, but it's not um, it's not graphic. It's not, it's not it's not violent. Or anything, but it definitely right? deals with some heavy themes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's hard to watch. There's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some some pretty unsettling moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But it, it, yeah, it, it's a powerful show, definitely. Yeah, it yeah. sticks with you. So yeah. I would definitely, definitely recommend you check out Severance. Yeah, yeah. How many, um, how many office cubicles out of out of four? Out of four. Out of four. We're going with. Gosh, that even that only gives me four options. That, that is what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, easily a three, maybe a three point five. If three. I'm allowed to give it a point five. Three point five. So like just the desk and the chair, but not the walls yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 The uh-huh. majority of a cube. No monitor, but like <laughs> maybe the monitor. Maybe the monitor yeah. is. Well, there. and yeah, for me too. This was uh, <laughs> word of mouth. Like I just heard so many people saying, "Oh, this yeah. show is so good." I probably never would have clicked on it or thought to watch. No, it, yeah, but yeah, it's people's recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, and I, I was very um, the hype. I, it lived up to the hype for me. It did so, yeah. yeah? No, so I, I was happy there it is. There it is. Out of four. Let's talk about cities. Boy. Right, so we're jumping right into this here. We're talking about cities. 
Uh, not towns, not hamlets. None of those. Those aren't allowed here. Um, <laughs> no, and you, you, you might be asking yourself, you know, what, what does that mean, right, to have an episode on cities? Uh, well, bear with us. We're going to tell you um, because there's a lot of things that, again, as if you listen to the McManus Media Corner, um, we take for granted in our daily lives that are, I think, very, very, very political and very mm-hmm. religious even. I think we both argue um, that, that influence what it is like to not just live in a city, not just be a resident of a city, um, but to be affected by a city, right? So, um, I think we're going to start big picture. We're going to talk about, um, what that means, right? Uh, and then maybe get a little closer into that, uh, dive, dive in a little more closer into what, what some like specific political and religious things are. Um, we might even, might even talk about our own city. So, Hey. We'll see, but uh, yeah, Seth, take take us away. Talk to us about uh, talk to us about it. All right, yeah. So thanks, Patrick. This is a uh, special passion of mine, mm-hmm. and I think for me, it's motivated by. Uh, I grew up in a very small town. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really good things about growing up in a small town, but I think for me, as someone who is a very kind of driven person and wants to achieve and wants to, you know, I've really enjoyed traveling, and that's where I found the most sort of personal growth and mm-hmm. transformation is is through experiencing things you know i went to college in orlando which is like orlando. just this massive city that is <laughs> unlike most other cities in almost every way because of the tourism and because of a lot of things but yeah for me that was sort of a place where my life opened up and new opportunities opened up and it's okay. also a place yeah. where i got you know um a lot of uh perspective shifting like training and experiences so i lived mm. in like a predominantly um, Spanish-speaking Puerto Rican uh, city. Yeah. And, you know, like, and for someone who grew up in a pretty homogenous small town, that was, like, a, a new uh, experience for me. Yeah. And so, and then I also studied, like, as a passion of mine and a sort of sub-discipline in both of my degrees, I've studied urban sociology and even urban theology, mm. which some people don't even know exists, but that's a yeah. thing. Yeah, surprise. And so it's definitely a passion of mine, and uh, as I've learned about it, like, both as I was learning more of, like, the text, the text knowledge and reading different books and listening to different lectures and podcasts and doing research projects on cities and, and yeah, urban life, yeah. I was also being transformed by existing in a city and finding my place and meaning mm. within it. So, um, you know, what makes a city a city and what's the point of talking about cities? Uh, fun fact, uh, at this point, I mean, a lot of the things I learned about this was several years ago, so I would imagine it might have gone another direction. But Seth's a little point, outdated here. Yeah, I'm super so. old, yeah. But <laughs> at this point, I can confidently say well over, and, and often uh, the numbers reflect 55% or more yeah. of people on this planet live in cities. Yeah. So if you were to 100%. take a random person out of the world, the odds of them living in a city are Could, higher than you them. You bet more. on them living in a city. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that was a perspective shift because, you know, like I said, my perspective was sort of homo- homogenous and based on, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I live near a smaller city yeah. but grew up in a small town and yeah. so to know that like wow when i'm talking about my fellow human beings on this planet um the like the majority of them are living in a place that i was sort of like maybe kind of used to fearing or mistrusting mm. or not or avoiding so you're saying you can't you cannot understand the human experience without understanding what it is like to live in a city I think like, so, like fully yeah. fully understand maybe yeah, yeah. and that's Definitely. not like that's not like an attack on you know maybe people who grew up oh yeah in no. a rural no, community or as a farmer but just to say like the world has changed right and I think yeah. a lot of a lot of our perspective politically and even religiously mm-hmm. a lot of it is shaped by you know a lot of philosophy and theology and sociology from the 1900s which mm-hmm. is when cities were still being formed and shaped and grown. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the resources and the way that we've been trained to think about ourselves within cities versus rural communities is based on data that is no longer accurate. Like what I'm saying is now, mm-hmm. for me, that was an aha moment to realize, yeah. like, no, the current, yes, like a hundred years ago, I don't think you could say that the average human, or the, you, you couldn't understand that human Oh, no, no, 100%. Cities were yeah. somewhat Probably of an anomaly. Probably not even, yeah. not even... Uh, the average American, yeah, right. Not, not even city. to say the average, but person. now yeah. the world has changed, as yeah. Galadriel says at the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. As the world has changed, know. yes. So the wise philosopher <laughs> uh, today, <laughs> sociologist, you know, yeah, today in in the world, um, that's where the majority of people are, and so yeah, I, I do think 
uh, for me to better understand myself and to better understand other people, it's yeah. proximity and time in cities that have actually shaped that. So, uh, you know, all that to say, um, for me, studying cities is fascinating and eye-opening. And um, it really... Also, living in a city and understanding more of my city has allowed me to... Um, I, it allows me to, I think, understand actually politics and religion yeah. a lot better. Yeah. And so let me give you like a... Um, a like small example of this. Yeah, so please. in the tradition that I grew up in mm-hmm. uh, of, of faith, so talking about faith specifically, yeah, uh, there was a, a large split over instruments, right? So you may have heard of like the churches of Christ. Not every church of Christ, but a lot of churches of Christ are churches of Christ are what's called non-instrumental. So or they, acapella. Yeah, they, yeah. they do acapella services because they, they, they believe it is actually um, against the Christian scriptures and tradition to yeah. use guitars or pianos or drums or anything in the the process of singing music to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was always taught that growing up, that that was a theological issue, right? Mm. That people's understanding of scripture and their understanding of theology is what led them to split and make that decision, right? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. The churches I grew up in were instrumental, but like we knew of other churches and other churches that were, you know, uh, connected to our tradition. Kind of talk, talk in hushed voices about the those churches. Oh. Yeah, or like, oh. Like, oh, they, they don't even know what a cajon is. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, we're going to do a, you know, worship band practice. Like, maybe we don't talk about that to our Church of Christ friends, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we, we're not going to agree on this, right? And so that's, that's an example that may be related for some people, maybe completely foreign to others, but that's yeah. an example I grew up with. Well, then I actually started learning more about church history and theology mm-hmm. and even cities. And what I learned is that while I was told, and while many people in that system think of it as a theological divide, it's actually a divide based on the Civil War and based on oh. wealth and urbanity versus rural lifestyle. So what? most of the churches of Christ in the South were poor and rural, and they had just lost the Civil War. So economically, they were disparaged, and they could not afford an organ, which was the main instrument that people used oh, to worship. Oh, man. Whereas yeah. in the North, a lot of the churches, a lot of the, the cities were beginning to form, mm-hmm. and there was, a, there was more wealth, more economic prosperity, and so those churches could afford organs. And so then, of course, the the urban and the like the the situation that people found themselves in. Then, wow. of course, they build a theology around that, and their theology of music was theology around the, the reality their of their actual daily life, context. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And I think that example, like, is a great example of how, to me, talking about cities is a very religious and very political thing. Yeah, um, and that's just one example. But like, there are so many realities of how we understand faith how we understand our political system that are built along the lines and districts of, of cities, cities. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about the mm. electoral college oh, right? gosh, yeah. and the way That's huge that, though, right? well, well, and like the, one of the, one of the common like defenses I'll hear of this system that we have that wh- whether or not you like it does exist, right. Is, oh, well, if we got rid of the electoral college and it was only the popular vote, mm-hmm. then it would just be, it would just be the cities. It would just New be the York cities and LA would control everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. New, yeah. New York, LA and Chicago would control it. The, sometimes they throw in Chicago would control the election. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to which I'm thinking like, well, New York, LA and Chicago are more populous than like six of our states. Right, like, yeah. like it's, that's where it's people not, actually. It's are. not just like the mayors single-handedly controlling it, right? It's it's the reality that like these areas are are incredibly dense. There are many, many, many people there, mm-hmm. and our political system has been built in some ways to advantage them, and in many other ways to to explicitly disadvantage them. Yeah, right. Um, and it, you know, America because of the electoral college and some yeah. other reasons, America is not strictly a democracy because we don't follow the popular vote. Representative, right? yeah. And so, um, yeah, and, like, I even heard a statistic, I think, in the 2020 election that says, like, the average person living in rural Iowa's vote actually counts 300 more times than someone living in New York City. Yeah, or California. Yeah, California as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, like, technically, I think I think we, we would be considered a form of democracy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but not just... Because there not, is public influence. There is but an it's adjective not, before it's not that direct. It's not a direct democracy. It's a representative democracy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And that is based around cities. Mm-hmm. And then, of course... Another huge thing about cities that to me has been incredibly eye-opening um, yeah. is when you look at the history of race in cities, right? Yeah. So in the 19... Like, there's several major watershed moments. And I'm just talking about the United States. I mean, yeah. like, I've been yeah, in yeah, other yeah. global cities and there's other similar realities, but just in the United States for now, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the 1920s, there was this process uh, called redlining, right? Yep. Where literally, like... Uh, <laughs> 
the white people in power drew lines uh, and district districted where people would live based on their race. Yeah. And like who they would sell homes to, who they would sell homes to and created, um, you know, what, what were called then and sometimes are still called now ghettos. Like many of the more economically disadvantaged areas in most of the major cities, the United States, Mm -hmm. they didn't just happen randomly. They were created based along lines of race. And when you look at cities today, most of those lines still exist. Yeah. And obviously, like, this is another conversation that we've had other episodes about and probably we'll have future episodes about. Mm -hmm. But when people want to say, like, there are no laws that are racist. Like, you know, racism is over. There's There's no no institutionalized racism. Like, redlining, when you understand cities, when you, like, start beginning to learn about how they work, what what created them, what made them, what changed them, just in the last hundred years alone, uh, cities are designed and were designed often... Uh, in very, very racialized terms yeah. and with discriminatory housing practices yeah. that created them, right? So just, and that's just a very matter of fact, like this is not a, a conspiracy theory. You can, sure. <laughs> this is all verifiable. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, I, I, and and I find it fascinating as well, right? If we look back through history, talking specifically about American cities, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you had, uh, again, you know, as Seth said in the 1900s, like this intentional effort to um, restrict where specifically African Americans, but other people of color could settle and live. And immigrants and raise. as well. Especially uh, yeah, immigrants as well. Um, uh, but majority African American. Um, yeah. yeah. But but you also had before that, and then during that time as well, like early twentieth century, late nineteenth century, even as well, like post Civil War, you had this huge migration of. Uh, African Americans. Um, uh, some of them would have been uh, freed enslaved people. Some of them would have been their descendants, right? Who were were moving north, right? Who were moving actually specifically into um, a couple of the cities close to where, like Indianapolis, Detroit, mm-hmm. Chicago, um, all of these cities up in this in this northern like Great Lakes Midwest area. Mm-hmm. We're seeing an influx of of people who um, were were massively boosting not just the population but also like the economy mm-hmm. and the growth of neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, fact, like new factories were being built solely because like there was this growth of population, right? So, mm-hmm. so there was this huge boom, like burst. Uh, uh, and then you saw this again post World War II, like like another big burst. Um, that, that was not entirely, but like also, uh, uh, significantly influenced by this migration of people of color moving into these cities, especially in the North, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the South as well in different ways. Um, and then you suddenly see, uh, a concerted effort by the white people of power in power, uh, uh, to restrict that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's not a coincidence, right. That yeah. suddenly what happened was like with the growth of cities slowed, uh, uh, over decades, factories moved out, people started to move away, especially white people into mm-hmm. the suburbs where you saw the growth of suburban America, suburbia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's, that's all, that's all deeply political, right. Yeah. That's all deeply racial, yeah. right. Um, and, and it's the building blocks of what makes up cities. And and that's and that's what we live with now, right? That's mm-hmm. what we live with today. Mm-hmm. And and to just say that like, well, that is not actively happening, right? There's, you know, redlining isn't legal anymore, so that's not actively happening. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to care. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think dismisses the like the pretty recent history of that being a significant issue and the fact that that's why um, you know, if you live in one neighborhood, you're more likely to uh, be of a certain ethnicity or race than another neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that's still the reality, right? Yep. Yeah. And if you take those realities of, and so a couple things, to, uh, yeah. and yeah. I appreciate what you shared. Like, it's also important to remember that when a lot of those things were built and put in place in the early 1900s, even late 1800s, yeah. guess who wasn't allowed to vote? <laughs> yeah, right. The people that were put, like, and so it's like, yeah. people also like, women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> women yeah. and people of color were not allowed to vote. And so, of course, the people making those, it's like, oh, well, there there were people of color in power. Yeah, (laughs) there were like a couple, but the vast majority were white males who had that power. And once again, that's not some social justice warrior critical, like, that is a reality based on the laws that were in place. And so the way that those cities were constructed and the bones of those cities that we still occupy, the vast majority of people in this country still occupy, the architects of the system were, you know, were absolutely. And so that's an important thing to remember. And then if you look at historic redlining in a yeah. lot of cities, most cities in the United States, um, you can if you, if you neatly draw those lines as they were drawn yeah. for discriminatory housing practices, uh, 911 response times, 
neatly uh, match up where areas that were not redlined, dang, where uh, white affluent people were able to live. Yeah. They res- today, right now, the nine one one response times are significantly less than areas that are redlined. So, like, that's a wow. built-in thing that, once again, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm talking about institutional racism, like, and white supremacy as sort of the architecture of the United States. But that's yeah. actually also a very urban reality that is like the bones of a city that make up you know how people crazy yeah and you also look at um uh home loan uh rejection rates so when someone wants to buy a house Mm -hmm. and they apply for a loan yeah uh i have a map of indianapolis Hmm. that has the exact color-coded percentages of what areas of town the home loan rejection rates are high meaning if somebody wants to buy a a house here the odds of them getting rejected is once again neatly drawn right over the redlining map in the 1920s. Wow! Like I have the evidence, I have the facts, I, ha- I have that's, it all. Um, yeah. So that's those crazy. are verifiably observable yeah. impacts of of cities. Yeah. Um, but another thing, I want to take a few steps back and, and maybe shift in directions. Sure. Yeah. Another thing to me, and this came for, to me a lot from my religious perspective, mm-hmm. and one of my uh, uh, mentors did, was the foremost expert on even this conversation, but there's also an extreme rhetoric, I think a lot, especially in religious, even rural religious communities, Christian, yeah. white Christian communities primarily, there's a, a strong rhetoric against cities. It's a fear almost. Yeah. I, I grew up with that, right? Yeah. I mean, like, same, I, same. I, I've lived in a lot of different places, right? But mm-hmm. but even when I was living in, um, like, a, a small to moderate-sized city in Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there there was that fear. That, w- like, we were told in youth group, you know, don't go downtown, right? Mm-hmm. Don't don't go to this neighborhood. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. don't go to that high school. That high school's the, the bad high, or the... They would say the ghetto high school because they didn't want to say the black high school, right? So mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I I witnessed that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a historic thing that goes back actually hundreds of years. And you can even hmm. look at like, um, you know, one of my mentors did like a significant study, even starting with someone like Charles Dickens. Like, like look at the way he talked about London, right? As this sort of like, uh, kind of like just dark and foreboding place. And like, yeah, yeah and the industrial er- industrial era. Um, you know, cities could be really scary. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying if we're talking about the place where the vast majority of the people in the world live, hmm. why is there still an, an increasingly uh, strong rhetoric and bias against it as a place to just exist, yeah. right? Like there are known, um, and I've heard people, so, so that's just kind of a general right. Now let me talk specifically about the city we live in, Indianapolis. Yeah. So there's this Indy. thing I learned about in a school called the Cocentric Model uh, of Cities. And so this is like an urban sociological thing. So it's very academic, but actually when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense and it becomes very less academic the more you understand it. So um, this is simply the idea that if you were to draw a circle in the middle of a city and then draw further circles like going outward, right? Mm -hmm. Almost like a, a sonar effect, right, on the map. Sure. That... Actually, the principles of urban sociology and like the way we understand cities, that you can, uh, every city is different and every city has different factors, but you can, in, in a lot of cities, especially in the United States, you can point to each of those circles and what they contain and say exactly what's going to be in and out of them and be accurate more times <laughs> than not. Without knowing like Without the knowing details the city, of the city. With, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a couple things that change that. One is tourism. So like Orlando doesn't apply to a lot of that. Another is sure. colleges. So when you put a college or university, kind of disrupts that it kind up. of disrupts because yeah. you're creating another ripple effect circle out of the college. Yeah. But generally, if you look at a city, and I think Indianapolis, to me, I learned that and then moved to Indianapolis, it is the one of the most textbook examples of that because it's called... The circle... We have a literal circle in the middle of our... And we have a giant highway that's a It's a circle, circle right on the edge. City. Yeah. Yeah. So what what would some of that look like, right? Like like in that example, in this academic example, mm-hmm. and even like we could even talk about Indianapolis specifically. Like yeah. what 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 does that look like? Like as you start in the middle and move outward. Yeah, I mean, um, I think examples of that would be like the the inner circle, right? The very downtown is where you're going to have a lot of your affluent businesses. And you're actually going to have a lot of times really high priced housing that affluent, predominantly white people are living in, hmm. right? But then you go one to two circles outside, and that's where you're actually going to find a lot of those neighborhoods that were created by redlining, right? Interesting, yeah. So, like, pretty historic, but, like... Yeah, but but also very observable today. And Indianapolis is a great example of that. Like, the neighborhood I live in is predominantly um, 
uh, folks who um, have Mexican ancestry and then predominantly black Americans yeah. live in my neighborhood, and yeah. it is just outside of the city center. But yeah, the direct close. city center of Indianapolis has some of the most expensive apartments you, know, you could ever imagine, hmm. and some of the like most uh, wealthy companies like the Salesforce building or Lilly, right, are in that inner circle. Yeah. And like, look at yeah. most cities, that's going to be a similar reality. And then you get to the far out circles. And that's where you mentioned the, the white flight, which happened like a, a lot in like the 70s, between the 70s yeah. and 90s in, in a lot of cities, where it used to be the cool and profitable thing for predominantly white people um, to live close to that middle of a city, right? Yeah. And then yeah. uh, as... As yeah. as people of color <laughs> often moved in and, and reclaimed a lot of those areas in the city, yep. white people became afraid. They became um, you know worried of crime. They yeah. they had lots of different motives and decided to retreat off into the suburbs. And that's where a lot of suburbs, like suburbs of Chicago or India or other cities, sure. were created in that yeah. process of white flight. Yeah, maybe they already existed, but they were more rural farm areas, and now yeah. they're actually more quote unquote developed. Yeah. Suburban areas. Well, and that's, I mean, uh, and, and it wasn't just, you know, families. It wasn't just individuals as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's this is why you see, like, uh, factories, corporate headquarters, often in the middle of nowhere, right? They'll mm-hmm. say, like, oh, this is um, uh, this is the Indianapolis branch of this company, but it's, yeah. like, you know, it's 45 to 50 minutes outside of downtown, outside right? Of city um, and uh, uh, speaking in religious terms, churches. Churches went with them, yes. right? When the white communities in like the middle section, right? The like the edges of a city mm-hmm. all left. This they they took their churches with them, right? Yeah, uh, like the like way. the congregants moved, so the church does as well. Um, so you saw just kind of like this 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 flow of resources, this flow of community away from the city. Um, and and it's hard it's hard to feel like that that fear was anything other than racism, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's hard to wrap uh, uh, wrap your mind around, right? As someone who does go to a church, as someone who is a person of faith living in a city, yeah. that's hard. That's rough. Yeah, yeah, but it's true. And yeah. even so, you know, in the seventies and eighties, like in white evangelicalism, in the United States, which is like the tradition I grew up in, yeah. Um, there was a real strong trend of church planting, right? So that became the new yes. mission, right? Like yeah. we're going to move into uh, uh, areas where we you know, see a fit for a church, where maybe there's a need for a church, <laughs> or we're going to start a new church. Yeah. So instead of like maybe building coalitions between churches or... Um, you know, strengthening gonna, churches. We're going to start a little like movements. colonialism, right? It's like, well, well we're just yeah, going to yeah, like yeah. spread our wings a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a huge trend. And like, yes, even I, I took classes in that. And for a long yeah. time, I thought that's what I was going to do is plant, yeah. plant oh, a new yeah, church, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, a lot of folks. But I, that's another one of those things that those data points I learned in college is like between 80 and 90% of new churches that are started yeah. are started outside of cities. Yeah. And yet, like I said at the beginning of the episode, over half of the people in the United States and in the world, in the world, live in cities. Yeah. So it's like, so we, you know, as for the the sort of evangelical Christians that are wanting to quote unquote reach lost people with a church, right? That's maybe hmm. what they would describe their mission. Yeah. Um, for people that that's their goal and that's their mission, right? Eighty to ninety percent of the resources of new churches that they're planning to reach people that don't quote unquote don't have access to a church are spent on less than forty five percent of the population. Like. Those numbers don't add up. No. Right? Yeah. And they yeah, are definitely. also, and often, I think often with good intentions and often not intentionally, but they are also very intentionally uh, chosen and done along racialized lines that cities created. Right? Yeah. And that yeah. goes back to um, when we're talking about things like race or racism as they exist in yeah. our world today. Um, oftentimes, it, it's racism is both an individual thing, someone saying something awful or upholding a stereotype to their individual friend is racism. Mm -hmm. But racism is also a system, an institution that built the structures we live in. Yes. Yeah. So is, is, you know, a, a young white family that planted a church in the suburbs, are they individually uh, intentionally being racist by starting that new church in the suburbs? I would like to think a lot of them not. Yeah, right? not, Probably necessarily, not. not necessarily, right? That, that, that in, its, but in and of itself, no. are they, you know, existing in the skeleton of a system and upholding a system that is yeah, incredibly exactly. along racialized lines? And yeah. it's, it's, once again, verbally we're saying we want to reach people who have needs, mm-hmm. but our actions are actually just focusing on the people that look, think, uh, and, and exist exactly like we do, right? Yeah. And so that's, I think, one of those ways that religion often interacts with cities. And, um, you know, you can look at, 
even the way that uh, churches exist in the city, like you already like you already kind of touched on, sure, like, yeah. Even Indianapolis, like a lot of the really cool architecture and a lot of the the structures here in Indianapolis and in a lot of cities are churches. Like when I go to the yeah. highest point, I can in Indianapolis yeah. and look out. A lot of the things I'm taking pictures of and focusing on it's are the these church spires. historic church yeah. spires yeah, that are actually beautiful buildings. Yeah, wonderful. That, you know, existed here um, in a very different time, and a lot of them have stayed put um, to reach their neighborhoods. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, so I think in the same way that there's a lot of <laughs> bad news about how religion and specifically Christianity, sure. But then also you look at like you know how are synagogues treated when they move into a new city, or how is a mosque treated when <laughs> they? And you yeah. look at a lot of examples yep. of um, even sometimes churches and or lawmakers and people in power who are Christian, or even people who aren't religious who have a lot of fear and xenophobia about, you know, this is our cultivated urban space yes. that we exist in. Yeah. And now, you know, they want to use this. There's 20 churches with historic spires all over. And now this particular religious group, uh, using their free speech given to them in this country, want to be able to, uh, you know, have a place where they can worship. Engage with us, try and build a community with us, yeah. right? a connection. Even. And, yeah. you know, and That's a lot of times there's a lot of fear right? yeah. and even sometimes legislation or yeah. acts of hatred that exist you yeah. know, in and out of cities. Yeah, well, and it's... it's in, in many circumstances, like you said, right, it's not it's not individuals perpetuating acts of race, like specific identifiable acts of racism, right? In some circumstances, right, especially like, you know, if there's a new mosque that wants to be built in the neighborhood and people are opposed to that, I mean, I would say there is an element of racism that's pretty mm-hmm. inherent, right? Xenophobia, at least, Islamophobia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what you're saying, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's these structures, it's these institutions, right? Um, Sometimes it's it's as like abstract an institution as like the housing market, right? Like with redlining, but sometimes it's it's a very specific institution or mm-hmm. or, or structure. Um, you could talk about even like the highway system, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And again, using our city as an man, we're really throwing India under the bus. I really like Indianapolis. India so, is a great so I'm city. Not, I'm not uh, ratting on it too with, much with but a good, bad, and ugly history. Definitely like any other city. But but again, like any other city, when when the interstate highway system was being built here, mm-hmm. and they were having to decide where they're going to put these highways, how close they're going to be to the city, how far away they might be, stuff like that, mm-hmm. they were looking at. What buildings are we going to have to destroy and demolish? Mm-hmm. What neighborhoods are we going to have to flatten mm-hmm. um, to build these overpasses, to build these inter like entrance and exit ramps, right? Um, and what you can see overwhelmingly, um, the historic black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. uh, the historic uh, Arab American neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, as well, which I didn't know until recently, mm-hmm. um, uh, were both... Uh, overwhelmingly targeted, like uh, for demolishment, for relocation. Um, there were lots of historic buildings. I think the first, um, oh, I'm trying to remember, like the first orphanage ever built in Indianapolis was an African American orphanage, and it was completely demolished. Like, like you go there now, there's a little plaque, and then there's a highway right next to it, mm. right? And it's 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 depressing, but it's also like it's a it's a very physical reminder of like. They moved uh, uh, these people of color and, and demolished them because their lives were less important than people just passing by, mm-hmm. right, in their cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that's an example we live with today because everyone uses the highway system, right? Mm-hmm. Every, everyone drives on I-65 or I-70 or, or whatever highway is, is near you, right? And those, mm-hmm. when, when you get to the city, think about like, well, why did they build it this way? Why did they build it in this shape, in this direction, um, and it's off, it's often down to that that divide as well. It's a deeply political divide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think looking at the present day, there's new realities that we're facing. And yeah. one of those yeah, buzzwords absolutely. that people throw around a lot in relation to cities is the big G word, and it's not God. Gentrification. <laughs> okay. Right? It's like there's um, a couple different G words. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know where I was going to go. I had that. no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, uh, I get it. But gentrification is one of those things, and essentially, um, the uh, Gentrification, as I would sort of try to define it, maybe yeah. like the lowest common denominator definition is it's almost in a lot of ways the reverse of white flight, right? Hmm. So whereas there was a reality of uh, wealthier white people all leaving the city centers to go out to the suburbs mm-hmm. and most cities in the United States, um, uh, gentrification is is sort of the process that happens when a lot when now living in cities becomes cool again, which is a more yeah. recent trend and why it's yeah. another buzzword. It's like now living downtown, right, is is a cool thing, and it's mm-hmm. it's a you know cities are become more aesthetic, and a lot of um, 
local political processes are, are sometimes investing more infrastructure in cities, which is super cool. But what happens, uh, gentrification is sort of a reality of, okay, wealthier people, often predominantly white people, moving back into a neighborhood. But often what happens is, so like an example, right? Um, uh, like I've, uh, you and I have lived in a neighborhood where the houses are about 100 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, for the last 70 or so years, a lot of people living in, in the communities around here were either um, black Americans or immigrants, uh, whether they were Arab immigrants or Hispanic, yeah. Hispanic immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so you have those, these historic houses and you have yeah. even generations that have lived in these neighborhoods and made them what they are and given yeah. their labor their, and raised their families here. And often in um, really difficult conditions economically because so many businesses and churches and institutions pulled out of these cities and left them to just to just uh degrade yeah and gentrification is what happens when suddenly you have a wealthier family who wants to live in this cool trendy neighborhood but they're not really pleased with the aesthetics of the hundred year old house and so (laughs) they're gonna call in you know like we have an hgtv show in indianapolis yep they're called Good Bones. I'm name dropping. I don't even care. Do it. The do show it. Good Bones is in the Fountain Square neighborhood, which is like mm-hmm. a historic neighborhood. And they come into these neighborhoods for, for TV content and take these super good bones. Like just the name. Oh, the bones are great, <laughs> but you just got to restructure around it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they take oh, a man. house that would maybe go yeah. for like 75K, right? Yep. And they completely redo it and fix it up. And now it's going for 300 to 500K. Yep. Right. So what happens to the hundred year old house that next to that one that didn't get fixed up? Well, obviously their rent is going to skyrocket because now you've got a micro you've got a microbrewery next door and you've got a cigar shop and all the hipsters yep. are moving back in. So now the black people and people of color and immigrants who have lived in these communities and fought in the black churches and like some of the political and religious institutions and families that have made these communities what they are for the last hundred years, w- without being given subsidies, without being given you know, any, often any handouts whatsoever and facing the real challenges of the crack epidemic and the opioid epidemic, like existing in these places and calling them home and making them what they are. Yeah. Now, a hundred years later, (laughs) uh, you know, a often good intentioned, but maybe ignorant, wealthy white family with their, you know, two-year-old Braxley and their four-year-old Caxton. (laughs) Caxton. Oh, man. This is the most millennial name I've ever come up with. McKaylee, but there are no M's or Y's (laughs) in the name. It's all E-I-G-H's. Yeah. Uh, You know, they move back in and they think, oh, like, you know, we want to live in this cool neighborhood and look, our neighbors are diverse. Like, this is a city. Yeah. Oh, this is so great. But what are they actually doing? They're actually further oppressing poor people and yeah. pushing them out of the neighborhoods. And again, that they that's build. not, as, as I said, like that's not an example of like necessarily, I mean, it could be, but Often of like, be, yeah. of, of those individuals perpetuating specific acts of racism. Right. So when mm-hmm. someone says, Oh, I'm not a racist. Yeah. Right. That's what they mean. You're not right? exempt. I've, We're I've not, not done exempt. anything. I can recall that I was being bigoted while I, like I was thinking something bigoted while I did it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, what, what you're saying is like, like that is building again, a further like system that disadvantages their neighbors of color. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and that, that in and of itself, that system is something that is deeply racist and yeah. deeply historic and deeply tied to the soul of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I guess yeah. <laughs> I guess the broader point for me that's and I guess I don't know. It a lot of what we've been talking about are the problems and the challenges that come with cities. Sure. But I I mentioned the anti-city rhetoric for a reason. So yes, these are all problems and challenges. But it's important to remember that like a lot of those problems and challenges exist sometimes in greater rates in rural communities, right? So 100%. it's not so all that to say, cities are places of meaning and culture and value and importance. Yeah. And what our cities look like reflect who we are as a people, as a country, as a culture. And that mm. exists across the world, right? And so all of that to say, like, cities are not, um, they're not uh, unbiased places. Each place has a history and a meaning. Yeah. And cities are worth fighting for and worth investing in because they make up the reality of who we are mm. when we try to coexist together. Yeah. And like a lot of the ways we're pointing out are ways historically and currently that we're not doing that, that we're continuing to uphold kind of the ways that a lot of these cities were originally built um, with you know, one particular perspective and agenda, making all the decisions, having all the power, having all the wealth. That's right, yeah. But what we're seeing is that's actually changing. And like, there are really amazing ways where even churches and politicians are, um, you know, reinvesting in cities in ways that actually empower people in the neighborhood. 
mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. actually, you know, bring people together and that actually connect. You know, there's churches and mosques that are now collaborating. Uh, even the, the church that I'm a part of, you know, we're collaborating with um, multi-faith groups because actually one of the greatest housing crises in the United States is actually happening in Indianapolis. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I, I am privy to being able to see religious leaders across multiple faiths yeah. saying, this is our city. We care about this place. This place matters to us. And it matters to our neighbors who look Do something about it. Yeah. differently than us and have different experiences in this. Yeah. And we're going to join arm in arm and use the resources we have to make this place a better place. Because what, you know, what this city is and what it, uh, what it makes up is who we are as people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, another sub note, something I learned that to me that was fascinating that stuck with me about cities in general as well is mm-hmm. when you talk about envir- the environment, right? Yeah. Like, how does carbon emission work? Are we damaging our planet? Are we damaging our country? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Um, often you think about cities as a place with, you know, industrialism. Oh, and everyone's polluting. The air sucks. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that visually often that can be a reality. Like you drive into Chicago and it's just like massive and, you know, it feels like, oh, this is probably polluting so much of the world, this city. But actually, the truth is... Um, Cities, because of the population density, because they attract such a large so group many of people, people yeah, um, yeah. cities are actually incredible for the planet. If everyone lived in a city, obviously that's not a reality because like we need farmers, we need you know to, to, to keep everyone's lives moving. Like we need those rural communities yeah. as well. Yeah. But you know if if the more and more people that move to cities, actually the more and more the environment is protected because that pollution is happening, but it's all happening in a way more efficient way concentrated, mm. right? If we all walked and had reliable and, uh, you know, invested in public transport, yeah, both our life quality would skyrocket yeah. and our pollution levels and, and the environment yeah. would be in I, such honestly, a better like, state. Honestly, like when I'm living in a city and every like thing I need for my like daily life is within 15 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Like the grocery store, uh, the restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, downtown, any entertainment centers, like anything else I might need an auto shop, whatever, mm-hmm. is all there, right? I'm not like, if I'm living middle of nowhere in, in Florida, sorry, Seth, Bro. and it's taking 30 <laughs> minutes one way to get to Kroger, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's 30 minutes gone, right? I, I mean, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, the efficiency, I think, is it per capita. I'm, I'm certain, I don't have the numbers, but like, mm-hmm. I'm certain it's much lower. Yeah, no, it yeah. is verifiably. Like, there's been lots of studies in... Sure. Um, yeah, and cities yeah, are actually really good for the earth. That's great. And, um, and... And, and yeah, and I think, uh, to me, I, I bring up the, obviously the politics of this make what cities are, but also you mm-hmm. hear about, um, you know, the way people talk about cities politically, rhetoric wise, like, oh, you know, Democrat run New York has a, <laughs> a super high murder rate, right? Like that's a, that's a talking point um, yeah. and that both sides have used, right? Yeah. Um, which like per capita, New York is actually one of the safe, like per, per square mile and based on population density, New York is one of the safest places you could be in the United States. Yeah. Like, 100%. So, you know, a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the ways we're taught to think about cities, we've just inherited these negative things uh, to, to sort of cast on cities. But the truth is, like, cities are actually a place of, of vibrance and of culture. And, like, um, you know, and people have preferences. Like, some people really like being in more of a rural setting. And that's sure. fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with having that preference. Yeah. But when you allow that preference for you to now cast judgment and then pass policy yeah. that disregards where most of the people live, mm-hmm. and when your faith even tells you, and when you use theology and your understanding of religion, you know, to sort of disparage or or even just view a city mm-hmm. as a place of mission or yeah. outreach, but not a place to live, yeah. right? Like... That's one of those things, you know, I sent young adults across the world to work in global cities across the world for several years. Yeah. And I often would talk with them or with their parents about concerns they had, right? Yep. And one of the things I would always remind people is like, they'd be like, oh, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I've literally had, <laughs> literally had parents talk to me about, you know, I don't want to send my child to any city that's not in Europe for safety reasons. It's one of the oh, most boy. blatantly racist things uh, ever. It's, it's so uncomfortable to hear that. Even yeah. to hear that is like, yeah. Uh, what do you mean by that? But oh, you, you interrogate man. that and like, oh, well, that's that's not racist. They're just talking about... No, 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 hold on. There's a war going on. What are you talking about? Yeah. There's a war going on in Europe There's right a now. war in Europe right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. South but, America is like... But one's going to say... <laughs> something I remind people is like, fine. you know, I spent... Uh, I, I spent I just spent uh, several weeks in um, three large cities uh, in Cape Town, Coberja, and... Um, 
Johannesburg, yeah. three of the largest cities in all of Africa. I, yep. I spent a whole summer living in Nairobi. You know, I've lived in a, in a city for the last five years. You have as well. Occupied a ton of urban spaces across the world. Yeah. And um, something I remind people is like, people are raising their children in all of these cities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, are there areas where crime is a, is a challenge and, and like a reality? Absolutely. Should we just blatantly just stroll anywhere and not consider like, no, like obviously we should be concerned. And especially if you have kids, you have family, like, sure. But to just talk about cities as these places, as if it's just this wasteland where it's like people have been raising their children on my street where I live in Indianapolis for generations. Gener- yeah. Gen- I was going to say generations of people have grown up. In, and like, in it's a privilege yeah. for me to say, mm, I don't really want to go there because I don't think it's safe. It's like, it's great that, or even schools, right? Like that's a whole political oh, thing about yeah. edge. I mean, hundred percent. You look at all so these So much systems, more we could say. Yeah. yeah. You copy and paste them over a city and it's just like, there's good, bad and ugly. But, um, for me, my journey, uh, with all this and the reason I care so much about it is like, yeah, like I mentioned, I found a great deal of meaning and purpose and belonging when I rejected the myth that cities are places to avoid hmm. and places that are sort of uh, something that I'm going to hold a 10-foot pole away from and maybe help if I can but mm. not actually live in yeah. to viewing the city as a place where um, consciously, like think about where I live, right? Not being the HGTV home buyer or anything, but like Cities are a place where we we actually should be investing in and spending time in. Yeah, and when 100%. we do that, we're actually making life better. Like like for me, uh, receiving my um, undergraduate education mm-hmm. in an urban area that was mostly uh, folks uh, that came from Puerto Rico made my life better and richer. Hmm. For me, living in um, and spending time in cities you know, uh, where a lot of refugees populate the city, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that has made the cities, like especially Indianapolis, Indianapolis, like, and you know that really well. You, yeah. you work with refugees mm-hmm. uh, personally and, and see like yeah. refugees in this city make this city better, you know? Oh, they, uh, and I mean, yeah, they in, in calculable ways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so just viewing, I think, uh, yeah, when we think about faith and religion, these things are not devoid from urban spaces, but actually they make up urban spaces. Hmm. And the rhetoric and the way we think about ourselves and the greater system yeah. um, and, and what types of place in the city we occupy. Like, So all that to say, for me, uh, learning about my neighborhood, learning about my city and hmm. spending time there has infinitely made my life better. And visiting different cities and like seeing things, the good, bad, and ugly things that are going on there and the ways those have changed and the way history has, you know, in the political system, like the more I've learned about those things, the more aware it's made me of the people on my left and my right, my neighbors, Mm -hmm. and the way that it's made me more in touch with my faith, with myself, and also to feel like I can be a part of a political process in this city and actually like affect change. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes, I can vote for a president. For, you know, every four years. Yeah, but, you and, you know, 80 million others, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the thing. But, like, the real impact that I can make is, like, when I'm paying attention to my neighbor's neighborhood yeah. and I'm learning about the, the, the things that make this place unique. And yeah. to me, that's, like, uniquely a faith thing yeah. in a political Oh, 100%. Form. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of that, yeah. You're ending this on a good note, which is, for me at least, which is, you know, you should be politically involved in, in a city. <laughs> do it. Just do it. Yeah, no, um... Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just echo everything that you said, Seth. Um, it's it's hard to imagine who I would be and what I would be doing without being in a city, right? In, mm-hmm. in a place where, um, and 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 I've lived in a lot of different places mm-hmm. uh, throughout my life, um, where like like a multicultural identity was taken for granted, um, mm. and that and I learned so much from that. And and it's influenced so much of how I perceive not just myself, but like my neighbors and my um, my, my location. Um, and I, I think that's, that's made me a more holistic person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's made me more comfortable in, in this idea of like being a Christian as well, what that looks like in the present day. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, and all of that comes back to this idea of like lots of people living together in a small amount of space, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a city. Um, yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for, for kind of walking us through this today. This was just taking a walk through this. Yeah, yeah. This was a really helpful time. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Any last words or. Uh, yeah, I do have some last words Yeah, and that's, um, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've dropped some names in this episode Yeah, and I'm going to drop some more. Okay. Oh man, let's do it. So here's the thing. I'm writing these down. Here's the thing. 
I actually just recently got word this past week. Yeah. That all of the haters of Not at the Dinner Table, Politics and Religion with Patrick and All Seth, of them. Oh, man. They all live, believe it or not, in Carmel, Indiana. I knew it. I knew it. Oh. Carmel, if you do not know, Carmel, Indi- if you've ever seen the show Parks and Rec, they make a lot of jokes about Eagleton as like this super rich place. Yeah. Carmel is Eagleton, okay? Period. Yes, 100%. Period. Carmel is the richest. So it, it exists in the wealthiest county. And it is one of the most homogenous places in the greater Indianapolis area. Uh, area. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's. It, I have a lot of very strong opinions about Carmel that have often got me in trouble. But what I'm saying is, yeah. <laughs> for those of you who are hate listening in Carmel, Indiana, we're coming from you, okay? You can't continue to be a leech on the city of nope, Indianapolis. No. Nope. And you can't continue to build businesses. Go do your own thing. Where go do you, your that, own thing. That prohibit you from having to go to downtown because you're scared of it. Downtown Indianapolis is not scary. It's a beautiful place. And you should be comfortable existing here. And you need to stop. Hate listening to our podcast. Get up. Get on your bike. Come to the city. Experience some life. Experience some culture. And stop, you know, I, I don't know what they do up there, but... Well, and you know what? You know what? This is, this is what I'll say about you, Carmel. Look, if you're going to put so many damn roundabouts in your city, oh my you need gosh. to teach your drivers how to use the them. The roundabouts. Don't get me started on look, the roundabouts. Look, if everyone, knew, if everyone knew how to go in a circle, if everyone knew how to go in a circle when they're driving in a car, it'd be fine. But I'd have no don't. issues with it. But none of you, none of you know how to drive. You stop there, you stand there, you turn signal, you make a full, you know, 180 degree turn. It's, it's a mess. It's terrifying. So... So all I'd like to say is uh, we're both announcing our joint candidacy for, for mayor of Carmel. Um, <laughs> the mayor next, just stepped down. It's time. Running it's next time. Uh, election is next year. Um, we will be drawing straws as to which one will be running for which party. Um, <laughs> and our only platform is to dissolve the city of Carmel. It's going to be uh, absorbed by Indianapolis, yep. uh, whether you like it or not. And yep. uh, that suddenly means you're living in a city. So And ooh, now you live in, ooh, a, in a diverse place. Ooh, and gotcha. you have to Drive downtown to go to f- nice restaurants. <laughs> and that is the platform. And so, actually, this is great. This is basically our first town hall. This is good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. For those of you listening, our main action points are going to be...